riches capital. Profit equals people and planet. This is Conscious Capital with Tane Hunter. Revolutionising the way we think about business and investment. Find us on DAB Plus and Instagram. Hi, I'm Tane Hunter and you're listening to Conscious Capital, where we explore the cutting edge of science, technology and human progress to help individuals and organisations understand what's coming next. On this show, you'll hear from scientists, entrepreneurs and technologists who are all on a mission to foster intelligent and optimistic thinking about our future. You'll learn that there are better ways of doing things in the 21st century and how you can be part of creating and investing in a fair and sustainable future for all. Conscious Capital. Better business for a better world. Welcome to Conscious Capital. I'm Tane Hunter. My background is in cancer research, data science, and machine learning, what everyone is calling artificial intelligence at this point in time. I'm also the co-founder of Future Crunch. And no, it's not a breakfast cereal for robots. It's actually a research and media company with a pretty simple mission, to explore what's happening on the frontiers of science and technology and seek out stories of human progress. We're focused on the solutions rather than the problems. We work with organizations to understand what's coming next and ensure they're creating sustainable businesses that work for people and the planet. Conscious Capital, net profit to net zero. You're in for a treat today because you'll learn how to shape new mindsets, develop innovative models, and craft bold new narratives for a better future. Because I'm going to introduce you to Tino Chow, the founder of Giant's Shoulders, a branding and creative strategy agency in America that is helping purpose-driven brands really find their voice and amplify their influence. And through the brands that he helps build, he empowers teams to innovate autonomously and shape communities that accelerate movements. But before we get to that, let's talk about some recent stories of science and technology, new innovations, and of course, a dash of human progress. You might ask why, partly because I'm just really excited about what's going on in this world and beyond, and I think you should be too. Because right now, there are 10 people living in space, and India has become the first nation to land on the lunar south pole, and only the fourth to achieve a soft landing on the moon in history. Only the U.S., China, and the former Soviet Union have succeeded in this challenging task of nailing a soft landing on the surface of our nearest neighbor. Russia actually just failed in an attempt a few days ago. The lunar south pole is of great scientific interest, as it is believed to hold water ice, an important resource that could help aid future crewed missions to our moon. As the Indian nation celebrates becoming part of this exclusive club, the Vikram Moonlander will set about deploying a small rover called Pragyan that will use an array of scientific instruments to explore its surrounding before beaming back its discoveries to Earth. Speaking of Earth, back here on the planet that we call home, we've got some big science news. We finally completed sequencing the full human genome. Now, I know the media has claimed we've done it before, but that's actually simply not true, as we were missing a key ingredient— the Y chromosome. Until recently, fully sequencing the Y chromosome, the chromosome that makes us biological males, was once considered an impossible task. This is because it's chock full of repetitive sequences and inverted stretches of DNA, making it quite challenging to put these stretches 
back together, especially in the right order. Turns out males were getting in the way, which often turns out to be the case. But now using state-of-the-art techniques, researchers have reported in Nature that they have succeeded in sequencing not just one Y chromosome, but for many men around the world. And in doing so, they have completed the final step in the long-awaited goal of completely sequencing the human genome. This accomplishment really represents an impressive finale and marks the beginning of a whole new era in human genetics. And being a genetics nerd myself, this makes me incredibly excited. Moving on, when was the last time you heard any news out of Mexico that wasn't about migrants, drugs, or crime? How about this? Between 2020 and 2022, the number of people living in poverty in Mexico declined by almost 9 million people. An average household incomes increased by 11%, and this was thanks to a new national minimum wage and the provision of social programs. Air pollution in Europe continues to fall. This is according to a new report from the European Environmental Energy Agency. Between 2005 and 2021, particulate emissions fell by 27%, and the emissions of sulfur dioxide, nasty stuff, fell by 80%. And this was even as GDP increased by almost 50%. Now, 13 of the bloc's member states have already met their respective air pollution reduction targets for this decade. There's a revolution taking place in the understanding of endometriosis, a disease of the reproductive system that affects the same number of women as diabetes, yet receives only 5% as much funding. It's great news because women's health is starting to get more attention, and it's certainly about time. Now, this one's going to be a bit controversial, but if this is accurate, then it is very good news. According to Dutch researchers who looked at over 20,000 measurements worldwide, the extent of the plastic soup in the world's oceans is closer to 3.2 million tons, which is far smaller than the commonly accepted estimates of around 50 to 300 million tons. To the rainforest now, where eight countries, Bolivia, Brazil, Colombia, Ecuador, Guyana, Peru, Suriname, and Venezuela have agreed to protect the Amazon, pledging to stop the world's biggest rainforest from reaching a point of no return and laying out a roadmap really to promote sustainable development, end deforestation, and fight the organized crime that fuels it. Okay, and I simply love this story. A sprawling network of irrigation canals across Spain created by the Moors a thousand years ago are being excavated and brought back to life to adapt to climate change. Over 100 kilometers have now been uncovered and with many more to come. Some farmers who were 80 or so were crying because they thought they would never see the water flowing again. Conscious Capital, the business of being better. Welcome back. Now for a big existential question. Paper or plastic bags? Waste management and overproduction of plastic has undeniably led to a worldwide waste problem. No one will contest that. Major actions and innovative solutions are essential in addressing this problem, which threatens the climate, wildlife, and humans alike. But the answer is not actually as simple as switching to paper bags and packaging. Ironically, the production of plastic grocery bags creates less carbon emissions, waste, and harmful byproducts than cotton or paper bags. Paper is more recyclable and biodegradable. However, they also release captured carbon as they compost or burn. But manufacturing a paper bag also takes four times more energy as a plastic bag, plus growing trees needs fertilizers, which are toxic to the environment, and making paper 
uses bleaches. Now, a paper bag would have to be used somewhere between 30 to 40 times to neutralize its production cost to our environment. Cotton bags have to be used 130 times. By comparison, non-woven polypropylene bags, a sort of fibrous plastic and reusable shopping bags, only need to be used 11 times to break even. But fundamentally, the most sustainable bag is the one you already have, be it paper, plastic, or cotton, or non-woven polypropylene. So how do you reuse your bags? (laughs) I wash and reuse my Ziploc bags just like plastic containers. I know to some that sounds like cleaning and washing toilet paper, and... It has driven some of my housemates and partners crazy, but hey, the small things matter, right? In more bag-related news, I was also interested to read recently about a good piece of bag news. Treeless paper bags. What? Treeless paper bags? Yes. So, paper made out of recycled leaves. Doesn't that just make so much sense? I wonder why we didn't think of it sooner. But a Ukrainian company called Relief love the name, has identified that leaves that fall from deciduous trees in cities as not only waste products that have to be collected and usually burn, which of course releases CO2, but they contain the same cellulose that we harvest trees for to turn into paper. So here are some of the positive stats. Relief paper is made from plant waste, which interrupts deforestation. It doesn't contain the sulfur and chloride of white paper products, Carbon dioxide emissions are 78% lower compared to traditional paper manufacturing. And paper from leaves only takes one month to biodegrade, while ordinary paper can take up to a year. Of course, growing trees to harvest their leaves instead of their wood is a truly sustainable practice and more effective form of carbon capture. I'm totally in. I think we can all have a sigh of relief. You're on Conscious Capital with me, Tane Hunter. On Disrupt Radio, new to DAB Plus and streaming live at disrupt.radio. You probably wouldn't expect military rigor and creativity to go together, but for me, it makes perfect sense. I'm going to introduce you to Tino Chow, the founder of Giant Shoulders, a branding and creative strategy agency in America that is helping purpose-driven brands find their voice and amplify their influence for a better future. I've been lucky enough to work with Tino through some projects we're doing at Future Crunch, and you're in for a treat. Tino and his team are all about designing a better future. Hello, Tino. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Can you tell us something that you couldn't Google about yourself online? You can f- search with the on the internet about you. What's a weird thing about you? I live on a farm, and I wonder if that that should be a place that I that we could start. So I'm from Singapore. Uh, I grew up in Hong Kong. I came to the U.S. for college or university and found myself going from big city to a smaller city to a smaller town and ended up on a farm. What kind of farm? What do you have growing? Do you tend any animals? So there's plenty of grass to begin with. I have a few pets, but my in-laws actually live across the street and they're the ones who tend the farm, even though they're not professional farmers, we'll like to call it a gentleman's farm or really a, a weekend farm for my father-in-law, who I believe in his past life was a farmer. We have a few cows. We have some goats, yoga goats, as I call them. Um, <laughs> we have a bunch of chickens and um, uh, we now have five horses and a pony and they got my kids into 
a very expensive sport. And so now we have uh, ponies to take care of and our kids are loving riding horses. Oh, it sounds wonderful. I'm a bit jealous. Now, let's dive in a little bit into your background because you started as an officer in the army in Singapore and then went to design school. Tell me a little bit about that journey. I always feel like a three-headed monster when I walk into a room because there's this operational side to me, a creative side, and recently have a business side. And like you mentioned, I was in the military in Singapore. And actually, this year marks my 20 year of being a military officer. So technically, I'm still considered as part of the reserves in Singapore, but I haven't really served for the last 15 years because I'm here in the US. So while my ranks remains the same, a couple of my friends are now running regiments. And so it's a little bit different life for them back home. Is so, there anything you miss about the army and reserves? Th- that's a definitely an interesting question. If you were to ask me when I was in the military after 14 days of not showering in Singapore, which is about 32 degrees and 90% humidity, I probably say no, I do not miss it. But kind of time does its magic and I do kind of look back fondly of my time in the military. Sometimes when I sit in an office or have my team solving really tough problems, sometimes I wish that I can just not think about what clothes I have to wear. I would just put on my uniform yeah. and just show up and go through the motions and know exactly kind of what my job is. So there are definitely the good times and the bad times. And yeah, now 20 years later, I do look back at it and really think fondly about the experience that I had and also a lot of life lessons that I've learned during that time that keeps coming back to help me and sometimes maybe haunt me a little bit. Yeah, I'm sure it taught you a bit of discipline and following a regiment. But when did you realize that you had a creative side as well? I mean, you went to design school. How did that happen? Yeah, I always wanted to be a designer. Just that uh, in maybe more of a Chinese culture in Hong Kong where I grew up, the two things that you you should never get involved in is entrepreneurship and design. Um, Because... (laughs) Those are the two things that seem to be the last thing that parents want you to do because my parents' generation may not have the opportunity to explore yes. many of these, what they might consider leisurely things, and they wanted us to get good jobs. The number one kind of job that they want you to get is, well, get be a doctor, get your degree, or be an engineer. If you're not smart enough, go to Wall Street and make tons of money and you'll be set for life. So that was the expectation. And probably all the way down that list is janitor, <laughs> entrepreneur, <laughs> and then probably kind of design or an artist. But I was lucky enough to have parents that were very nurturing and created a space for us to explore. And at a young age, realized that I was really interested in drawing and art and the innate eye for for beauty. They gave me the opportunity to take some classes outside of school. And also my teachers and my primary and secondary education were very encouraging as well. So um, at a young age, I knew that I wanted to to explore kind of being a designer. And within that, there there are a couple of civil engineers kind of in my family. So architecture was the first option for me. Okay. Shout out to all the janitors out there, because no matter if you're in a startup or a big hospital and a doctor, you need janitors, you need people to clean up. And of course, everyone's often a janitor. 
and chef in their own house. So Absolutely. tell us about Giant Shoulders, because this is your current project, and I love it. I've drank the Kool-Aid. It's a really cool company, and what you do is amazing. Can you give our audience your elevator pitch? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, before I jump into that, I, I just cleaned a bathroom in my office. So I'm doing doing the job of a janitor. So uh, yeah, I can tell you a little bit about Giant Shoulders. Um, so it's a branding agency and uh, maybe bridged a gap between what we were talking about before of me really thinking that I would go to school for architecture and how I ended up in branding. And it was really by, by the way of industrial design. Okay. Um, and industrial design, fundamentally was it's a mix of kind of product design and systems design. So it goes beyond just looking at how a product looks and feel, but really thinking about the manufacturing kind of process, the life cycle of a product. Um, mm. And kind of through that that training and also during the time that I was in school and as, as I was graduating, industrial design bifurcated into a couple of really interesting kind of uh, fields. So one of which is kind of user experience and user interface design, UI, UX. Um, that kind of came out of industrial design and really with the help of the first iPhone that came out, I think that was in 2007, and the whole field of UI, UX was born. And then yes. at the same time, a, a, a design company named IDO that was practicing industrial design started to look at how to bring kind of industrial design and the way of thinking into business and they called it design thinking. So I was lucky enough to be to be trained in industrial design as those two things happened. And it started kind of me down this path of how do we leverage design and how to use design to create um, a better world. And I know I'm not even giving you the elevator pitch. This is probably the opposite of an elevator pitch. Um, Good. Um, elevator pitches are a dime a dozen. So give us the real pitch. As I was graduating university, and this was roughly 15 years ago, and I was lucky enough to graduate in the 08 recession. And looking at the degree that I was that I was getting, and like I mentioned, it was really kind of before UI UX had a name, before design thinking really taken off. And also... That was before Silicon Valley really embraced design. And so a couple of friends of mine who were in, in engineering school, kind of right next to Rhode Island School of Design, that's where I went to school. We decided that we really wanted to learn from practitioners all around the world how they are making the world a better place. We, we were just curious minds. We just wanted to learn. We wanted to know how we can make an impact. And what happened was that we, we quickly realized that we could not afford to fly around the world to visit our heroes who are doing these amazing work because a lot of them were in developing nations and yes. was not easy to get to them. What they did was to show up with a, a business plan, wrote a business plan, came to, and came to us and was like, hey, we can ask people for money to bring them here to Providence, Rhode Island in the U.S. and they can come and speak to us. And the light bulb went off in my mind. I was like, I've never seen a business plan. As a wide-eyed kind of designer who I, at the time, I thought <laughs> that I can just make a product and change the world. But there was a first time that I saw kind of what we can do kind of through business. And when we had all of our heroes kind of flown here to, to Providence, Rhode Island, one of the themes that keep coming up was that if you have a product 
that can change the world. And even if everybody knows about it, if you don't have a sustainable business model or business or revenue model, it really doesn't matter because you're never going to create the impact that you want. So that was kind of a very much at the crux of kind of the kind of what became the aha moment. It was like, that is what I wanted to get involved in. And in various different forms before Giant Shoulders, that was what I was seeking. That was what I was working on. There were definitely tough times and where I have to make some conscious decisions of come where or not I wanted uh, come money or I wanted to do something meaningful. And it's not a an easy choice. Definitely. Yeah, I yeah. agree with you on that. So fast forward to Giant Shoulders. It's really a combination of kind of that discipline from the military. That's the operational side of what we do, where it's all about bringing an idea to market or to turn an idea into action. And also that idea from the conference that I started when I was in school, how can we make the world a better place? So that's kind of where those two things collided. And thank you for letting me go down this rabbit hole and tell the story. Oh, it's wonderful. Thank you for obliging us. This is incredible. So I have a quick question. One statement, discipline is always important. It's what you do consistently that truly matters. And for me, like I, I did professional mountain biking for a while. While it's not based in the military juggernaut, it does teach you a lot of discipline. No matter what you do in life, you need discipline. But having said that, what is a better future? Because some people have a different version of what a better future is. But I believe in a sustainable businesses that are better, that are improved people, but also the biodiversity and hopefully the planet itself and even beyond. So what is a better future to you? I don't know. Yeah. Um, I indulge myself in, in, in having conversations with people like yourself and uh, kind of really to explore and to challenge myself kind of what a better future kind of looks like. And as a designer, Sometimes we, we fall into the trap of w- wanting to create a better world kind of solely from our perspective. And I think yes. kind of one thing that I've learned through discipline is how do you create that system or framework to think about what a better world kind of looks like? Um, because that answer should change. And more often than not, that I found myself on the wrong end of the argument and allowing myself to change my mind, be educated, and and create a different answer, and oftentimes collaboratively. Yeah, collaboration always trumps genius. And I like your comment about systems thinking with design thinking, because we're in a crazy and complex world, and I take this from biology as a biologist and scientist. Systems-based thinking is about how you interact with an ecosystem which is constantly evolving. So again, you you have to evolve. But I'm interested about branding because branding is a word that gets thrown around a lot. And that is one of your main MOs. But I truly believe that branding and storytelling is the way that we can get people involved in creating a better future. But what does branding mean to you? And why is it so important? Yeah, that's a great question. And if you ask 50 people come what branding is, you probably get <laughs> yeah. 48 different answers. And I think in the same way, kind of our perception is our reality. And yes. oftentimes, I don't 
simply try to change people's mind to come to see my side of kind of what branding is and always work towards uh, meeting people where they are. It tied the answer back to a question that you asked earlier, kind of what is the, a better future? And I believe that kind of as we collectively define what that is, I think that's three things that you need to get there. One is that oftentimes kind of we need a new mindset to see that future, to realize that future. Um, mm. And secondly, we need new and innovative models. Sometimes it could be an evolution, but other times a revolution of what these models could be. And then finally... It's, it's like up to, updating your operating system, right? You've got to re reset the way that you view the world. Sorry to interrupt, but that, that was amazing. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, absolutely. And I th- and lastly, this comes to come maybe come to reframe kind of your question a little bit. It's like what might be the role that brand can play? And I believe that in order have to realize that better future, firstly you need a new mindset and you need new models. And really the third thing that you need is is new narratives to help cut through cut the noise and also a lot of new ideas that oftentimes we take for granted today, they were often very fragile in the beginning. And how do you protect these ideas? How do you protect kind of these new mindsets and new models so they can gain enough momentum to become mainstream? So that's to reframe your question, like the brand's job is to protect that and to share that story to help gain the momentum and the buy-in in order to get to the point where it's like, yeah, of course, we get around using Uber. You pull up a phone and you just put in where you want to go and a stranger picks you up. That's now normal. In the wealth of information that we currently sit in and a lot of misinformation, how do you entice the right information? How do you update your mindset, your operating system? And how is a company, can you create a story that is so compelling that people believe in it enough to change the world with you? Who are some companies that you're working with right now and at the moment? And what's getting you excited about helping them create a better future with purpose? We're lucky enough to work with many purpose-driven leaders and and companies. And I think one of the things that when many people hear that we work with purpose-driven leaders, uh, they often assume that we're working only with nonprofits. But we're finding more and more that there's a desire within the business world and the corporate world that they don't just want to do well, but want to do good. And they're willing to challenge their mindset and even sometimes business model or the delivery model. Uh, one of the stories I would love to tell is of a company named Avid Products that has a, vi- a really interesting and fantastic kind of story and history. First of all, Avid Products is located in the smallest state of the U.S. in, in Rhode Island. Yeah, Rhode and they Island. Were the ones, yeah. Yeah, and they put the first entertainment system on an airplane. The oh, fact wow. that we have headphones on an airplane, it's all because of them. So that was 70 years ago. And as part of their transition plan, they decided to essentially turn the company over to the employees. So it's now an employee-run company and being in a headphone company that sells to airlines, COVID wasn't too kind to them. (laughs) Uh, But the CEO also saw it as an opportunity. 
so happened that they have been in the education business for several years before that. And as everybody was sent home, including all the kids, many of them might have computers, but many of them don't have a way to kind of listen to, to the classes without the distractions. And that's kind of where they found their calling. And I, I want to call just use that word calling to really describe how how they saw the next turning point in their business. Because as the global supply chain kind of shrinks, Avid found themselves simply being a middle person between the Chinese manufacturer that makes the headphones and the airlines. And they decided that this is a good time to exit that business and find a kind of way to support meaningful work that they found themselves doing during COVID and how do they double down on that. And so what we ended up working with them on was helping the CEO pivot their business and also to then tell the story that honors the past, because in many ways, they are a 70-year-old company. They're not a startup. And how did they get from being the first company that put a headphones on an airline all the way to being in hotel and hospitality? And why does education matter? And ultimately, kind of what they did was they found a passion really in bridging the tech equity gap in education, providing headphones of high quality at a very accessible price point. And using education as a way to serve the world and also the fact that it it matches up with their internal belief and Mm. value of of ever learning. I can't think of I can't think of the word at a seven twelve seven twelve. In the meet in the evening right now, but no, uh, forever learning is a good thing. Knowledge is a good pursuit. If there's anything, continue to assimilate more information and make sure it's high quality. Yeah, absolutely. The that value and that kind of idea of kind of just being a lifelong learner emanated not just as a marketing ploy, but as something that they took seriously from the inside out. Um, so Avid is just one of the examples of a company that we helped kind of leader rediscover kind of why they did what they did and how do we transfer that kind of from one industry, serving one industry into another and really kind of setting themselves up for success for the for decades to come. I love that. And it's such a good example because you can be an avid entrepreneur in the smallest state in the United States. But no matter where you are, you can make a difference if you get the ethos and the story. And as you said, they're 70 years old, but you stand on the shoulders of giants. Everyone does. And so it's about remembering the past, celebrating it with great gratitude, and moving forward as the world changes. So speaking about change, because change is one of the few constants in the world, Is there a common mistake that you see companies are making when it comes to branding and getting the mission out there in relation to a rapidly changing ethos and zeitgeist of the world? Yes. And we love working with founders and entrepreneurs because as we were talking about earlier, people who are out there changing mindsets, developing new and innovative model, you find a lot of them starting their own companies. And it's extremely exciting to work with them. But one of the biggest mistakes, and I have been in startups who made that mistake as well, where founders sometimes would wake up 
after months or years at the company and feel, realizing they hate what they did. And one of the things that, we, that I've kind of found um, through my years of working with founders is that they, a lot of us listen to our customers. And that's most of the time a good thing. But sometimes when you only listen to your customers and with the best intentions, you serve your customers and give them kind of what they want. Sometimes you're guided only by customers and you end up in a place where you never intended, you never planned, and that was never your yes. vision. Such a good so point. One of the things that we, one of the advice that, that I give to, to founders, especially in early stages, just simply to write it down, write your mission, your vision, and your set of values down. They are going to change, but during those times that are tough and, um, you know, and sometimes your customers are, uh, are right. And also you need money to keep going, to keep that run race, the runway strong. So <laughs> yeah, it's how the value of the world is exchanged. So you definitely need a little bit of it. <laughs> yep. But you can lose sight as well. This yeah. is the first thing that, that I tell my my clients and also part of our process is helping you write that down. And one of the ways that we describe it is let's put down kind of what your unwavering truth is. Where is the line that you will never want to cross? I'm making sure that is knowable to everyone around you so that we can all make um, on brand on mission decisions together. Yeah, it's effectively, I mean, I'm an avid sailor. It's your navigational lights. You need yep. your North Star if you're in the Southern Hemisphere, your Southern Cross to help guide you. Now, exactly. so, so there are a lot of entrepreneurs out there who listen to this show. For s- someone starting out on their venture, what is one piece of advice that that, that guides you and that you tell clients and that has really served you in your life outside of purpose and a mission statement? What could you give the blossoming entrepreneurs out there? That's a great question. And probably I'm not following my own advice enough. I would say one thing that, especially for entrepreneurs who are starting to grow their business and starting to hire people is to think about hiring less of a a culture fit. I really like that. If you're hiring for a culture fit, culture changes and the ecosystem, whether it's biological or human culture changes all the time. For me, one of the best things that I would give advice to people starting off a business would be diversity by design. Because the more diversity you have in your perspectives, the less you have to do yourself, the less you have to keep crammed in your own head. And if you're listening to experts outside of your own industry, they know less about your perceived limitations. And so don't hire necessarily for the culture that you believe, but hire for versatility, adaptability. Yeah, yeah and that's a extremely difficult. Mm. This idea of it's all about culture ad rather than culture fit. And when I went to this lunch and learn all these years ago, and it really stuck with me. And it was this idea that in business, we fall in the trap of hiring people who are just like us. But in, in our romantic lives, we often are attracted to the opposite. And we literally use the term, you complete me, because we are opposite and we are complementary. And it was definitely something that was interesting when not you're, you, whatever personality tests that you want to use is to be aware, to your point, 
that you have diversity in terms of personality, because that also can help dictate how people approach problems, deal with challenges. And you need different people within an organization when during the good times and also the bad times. Yeah, you've got to be able to weather both the storm and the fine weather that everyone wishes to experience. Anyway, Tino, thank you so much for your time. This has been an incredible chance to have a conversation with one of the most beautiful minds that I've come across in business and in purpose, and you truly are making the world a better place. So thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I love the idea of using branding and creative strategy to really drive purpose-driven business amplify their influence really to make a sustainable future and help communities. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Tino. And as you might know, we like to end with a quote on Conscious Capital. So here it is from Richard Branson. I think if the people who work for a business are proud of the businesses they work for, they work much harder. And therefore, I think turning your business into a real force for good is good business sense as well. That's it from Conscious Capital on this episode. Stay safe, keep curious, be nice to each other. Basically, stay classy, planet Earth, and don't do anything we wouldn't do. Conscious Capital. Net profit to net zero. On Disrupt Radio, you'll hear Sunil Badami. What do diversity, equity, and inclusion really mean, especially for organizations? And who benefits the most from diverse equitable, inclusive workplaces. The radio show that explores the exhilarating, the innovative and the unpredictable in the rapidly evolving world of work. All it means is that as human beings, we're all different. We all have different lived experiences. We've all got different social identities. Sunil Badami opens your gateway to the brave new world of work. Many people are concerned, not only about reflecting the Aussie fair go and addressing this inequity, but also that the price of progress might be their own careers. The next shift, live on DAB+, online and on demand at disrupt.radio.